I want Hilary Swank in the next Terminator movie so bad. There is nothing in this world that you give me to do to hug a robot. It's because it's so incredible and intricate that it's impossible not to notice. Music's the core of this movie. I'm born again to watch this movie. <laughs> You'll find redeeming things and you'll be thinking about it for a long time afterwards. There was no bone saw. Just John Hamming it up over here. Two and a half out of three of us recommend it. <laughs> Everybody loves talking about movies. Let's talk about movies. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in to the Pause, Rewind, Play podcast today. We're so excited to have you here for our episode about The Dark Knight, the winner that you guys chose for the Nolan Bracket. I'm here with Vince Bradley. How's it going? Good. You guys just couldn't get enough of those comic book movies, could you? <laughs> <laughs> they had to have more. And Casey, how's it going? hey yo. All right. Also, I am not complaining. I love this movie so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I was very excited to rewatch it. Although once we got down, okay, I'll be real. Like I would have been fine watching any of the Christopher Nolan movies. He is easily one of my favorite directors of all time. So I was super pumped. That was my thing. Is I kind of wanted to watch something. I've seen The Dark Knight so many times. I haven't seen Interstellar since theaters. I haven't seen Inception since like the DVD release, so I was kind of like hoping one of those two would win just so I had an excuse to go back and watch them again. What are you going to do? But we knew. I mean, Vince predicted it on one of the early episodes. He knew it was going to happen. <laughs> He's like, will it be the Dark Knight? <laughs> or maybe something else? Or the Dark Knight? <laughs> we'll find out, I guess. And here we are. So here we are talking about the Dark Knight. We're super excited to. Let's go over really quick some movie news, some what we've been watching. So big in movie news right now. They just released the first trailer for The King's Man. Is that right? It's the first yep. trailer, right? Yep. Which is the prequel to The King's Man. Did you guys see it? I did, and I was real surprised it was dropped already because I swear I just heard about this movie last week. I haven't even heard that it's dropped, so news to me, guys. <laughs> Where have you been? What have you been doing all day? I've been watching Rick and Morty for like a week and a half straight, and I've rewatched some of it too. So that's where I've been, guys, in that mindset. Well, Casey's been in the Rick and Morty mindset. <laughs> well, it's good. The King's Man trailer, it looks different. It looks more serious in tone. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely go see it. I loved the first Kingsman. Second one's not as good, but I still really enjoyed it. And I was kind of hoping we'd get more Eggsy and more... Uh, I wanted to see more Channing Tatum because I feel like we didn't really get a lot in the second <laughs> one. I know. I was expecting more of him definitely in the second one, especially with how they advertised it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be Channing Tatum coming out guns blazing yeah. and everything. That's what it looked like, right? Yeah. So I was pretty surprised. Oh, we should do a Kingsman episode. We definitely should. Mark that on the board. Okay, okay. <laughs> Stay tuned for that in upcoming weeks. Guys, um, I actually don't have a board to write anything down. <laughs> <laughs> Mark it on the fake board, Casey, that we'll pretend we have. Um, we also have John Krasinski dropped a picture that they're officially Ooh. filming A Quiet Place 2. I got so excited about this that I, I went, woo, it worked today. So <laughs> I, I'm pumped. Even though it's a, a quiet movie, I got really excited about it. <laughs> Casey got really loud i guess he was probably one of the annoying ones in the theater who was loud who made me almost do i don't almost know. ruined that movie exactly like two girls sitting next to me and the lady in front of me that had her phone out half the movie guys yeah. i'm a mouth breather what can i say mouth <laughs> we bring this up every episode please 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 don't talk or use your phones in the movie theater it ruins it for everyone just all right use, i'm off my soapbox just use proper movie etiquette everyone especially us will love you for it 
I mean, I won't thank you because I just expect it hopefully to become the norm and for it to just become, you know, not even a thing anymore. If someone pulls out their movie at the movie theater, hopefully everyone will hate them. But, yeah, you know. Their phone at the movie theater. Anyways, uh, so Casey's been watching Rick and Morty. I have been watching just a lot of random shows, trying to find something to get into. The Fosters, Grubs. I've been rewatching Psych to see if I want to get into that. It's a lot of different things. I haven't really decided on anything yet. I know I watched a movie. We mentioned it before the podcast. I can't remember it anymore. But I've been watching yeah, a lot of things. Yeah. What about Vince? What are you watching? Uh, I started on Saturday The Bodyguard on Netflix. Pretty sure it's a BBC show. It's a British show. It's starring the guy who plays Rob Stark in uh, Game of Thrones. Hmm. Um, I got about two and a half episodes in. I might have finished the second episode, and it didn't really, it didn't really. You didn't feel it. It had some really, really cool moments in it. Uh, this really cool shootout that that I really liked, but it's it's very, I don't know. I just, I just, it just never sucked me in. So I don't know if I'll go back to it or not. Hmm. So that's it. That's all I really been watching, other than the occasional sitcom yeah. here though. There. Awesome, interesting. So yeah, that's what we've been watching. That's big movie news lately. <laughs> so. Let's jump into The Dark Knight. Thank you so much for picking it. We all enjoyed watching it this week. Uh, yeah, let's... That, I just want to say thanks, everybody, who participated in this tournament on uh, Instagram and Twitter. I had a blast with it. Um, I don't know. It just, it just, uh, it, I, I've been having a lot of fun talking to you guys on Instagram. Like, I haven't ever really contributed that way to social media before, like, actually had conversations. So, you know, everybody who's on there that's been jumping in the comments and let me know your thoughts about, like, the different movies, why you liked them, why you didn't like them. I posted a thing about the bat suits, and we'll talk about that later. Like, I loved hearing your thoughts on them, and, and I'm going to give you a shout-out here later in the episode. So just thank you guys. That was a lot of fun this week. Yeah, it's been super awesome. I love seeing everyone vote, and as we went along, you know, more and more people voted, and people were talking to me about it at work. They're like, Josh, like you got to do something, rig the vote so this movie can win <laughs> or the other one can win. And so it was super exciting to see how it all went down. And I loved watching and kind of like giggling at y'all's comments and arguments and debates. I don't run any of the social, like I've kind of stepped back from that because I've been like editing and stuff and trying mm -hmm. to find ways to change things around. And Like that killer new intro we have. Do-do-do. That was a that was a good collaborative effort. I just want to shout out you guys for obviously those top notch one liners that we were able to find and put in there. It made it a lot of fun, and then yeah, it was cool just to kind of collaborate on that. And yeah, it's it's fun to kind of learn that kind of stuff so that we can improve the experience that we all have as we one make and then two listen to the podcast. So thank you guys for your support, and that that was the motivation enough for us to add on and change it up a little bit there'll be a another surprise come a, a few episodes further so we'll just have to see there was no bone saw it's my oh, favorite one for sure <laughs> <laughs> never enough bone saw <laughs> all right yeah sounds super good so let's get into the movie a little bit Casey, uh, do you want to do a quick synopsis for us so right, put you on the spot so as far as like synopsis go right this is the the second son of Christopher Nolan in the Batman trilogy, as you might say, the Nolan trilogy. Here we find Batman just kind of doing his thing throughout the city, right? Still continuing to fight crime and try to find resolve as, you know, the Dark Knight. 
Um, what you do find a little bit of in here is that people are trying to join in and the change is kind of happening throughout Gotham, which I love. Um, citizens in action is a good thing, but sometimes it can be a little bit whack. Hockey pants, man. But <laughs> really, in the end, we find there's a new... I don't know. Everyone should know this by now, but yeah. there's a there's a new kind of villain on the scene where he he doesn't care. He really is like he describes himself as a wild dog, chasing chasing a car, not knowing what he's going to do with it. And then in the end, we find out of what humanity or people are really capable of doing, and what you know pressure and the circumstances of the moment can do to change and influence people. Is that a good enough synopsis of it? Yeah, I just want to mention that uh, this takes place, I think they said, uh, nine months after Batman Begins, I think. So Batman's kind of pretty well established his his rule of the city, and the mobsters are all running scared. They they have all their meetings in the, the daylight because they're scared to, to meet up for Batman. They're scared that Batman is going to show up to stop them. Yeah, I think you covered everything else, though, like that. That's pretty much where we're at in the series. Also, I think that another thing that we could we could bring up too is that the law is finally on board with Batman too, like wanting to get people put away. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't feel that way about the original Batman Begins film because the monsters kind of ran things, and now we're seeing more of a a step up of public servants in this as well. So not only citizens in action, but also public servants in action. Yeah. So that's my two bits. So do you guys just want to jump straight into the spoiler review since it's a 10 year old movie? Yeah, I'm gay. I mean, I like do. we all love this movie, right? Do you I want to say anything else? I want to talk about something. Cause obviously we'll okay, talk about it. how much we love the movie. I did want to maybe have a quick discussion, not too long about how we feel oh, okay. happened how we feel this movie is compared to to more modern superhero movies and if it deserved more credit in the awards sector versus, say, a movie like Black Panther. Because I was pretty surprised because I thought it had less. The Dark Knight, it did receive eight Academy Award nominations. It only won two for the late Heath Ledger, of course, as Best Supporting Actor and also Best Sound Editing. But then all the other ones were like Best Makeup, Best Sound Mixing, different things like that, that it didn't win any of them. So do you think for the films that were coming out then that The Dark Knight at least deserved a Best Picture nomination if it came out today? 100% yes. The most impressive thing about this movie is how practical everything is. I mean, the acting's amazing, the story's amazing, the overall, everything they did. I've had, I had so much fun watching the making of this movie because the the minimal the the they just did so little with CGI. They used CGI to touch up scenes rather than create full scenes. Um, they used actual cars, like crashing them. They used actual explosions. They used everything they could, and then used CGI to like cut the cameras out or the mattresses that someone was jumping on. And I think that we don't really get that nowadays. I mean, they kind of tried to do it with the new Star Wars movie, uh, but but they don't to the extent that I feel like The Dark Knight went to make a real, a movie that feels so realistic was just so cool. I just, I think it deserves every award that it was nominated for. I tend to agree a lot with that. And I think, I think this will be a circle of agreement in this because it wasn't over the top, right? Like there was nothing that was, I was like, oh, that could never happen. 
Because it's you look at it and you start out from the beginning of the film. It's a very well thought out crime, you know, heist. It's a very well thought out. Then you go into Batman, his tools and kind of all the weaponry. Like if you have the right smarts and the, you know, the money to back those smarts, anything's possible in this movie. And I like for one, like there's a, a scene, and I, and I I don't know if it's gonna spoil it or anything that here like it's a ten year old movie, right? But there's a scene where they do something called they use something called skyhook, right. which seems incredibly practical if you think about it. there someone at one time had to have tested that uh so getting right into it the skyhook is actually he mentions that it was a c it was tested by the cia yeah. that was real life something that the cia tested it actually worked for them but i don't think they ever put it into use I feel like you get major whiplash from that. That's oh, yeah. all I think about. That but scene. they they have footage. You can get on the internet and you can watch some of the footage of it. That's like the first. thing I'm, I'm pretty sure do. you that's might want to f- double check me on that. That's the first thing I'm going to do after we finish this episode <laughs> is look up <laughs> Skyhooks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely in agreement with you guys. I feel like, I mean, I'm happy that if a superhero movie is well made and it has a good story with character arcs and everything like that, that it can break into the best picture, you know, category of the Oscars. I think that other superhero movies, I'm not saying a lot because they've evolved so much, but I think definitely, if anything, The Dark Knight. I went back and I looked at the Oscar noms for Best Picture that year, and they were all good movies. I just think that The Dark Knight was in that category and was above and beyond. Not all the movies because, you know, there were good movies. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire came out that year and a lot of good things. I'm not saying it should have won. I'm just saying that I think... It was a different time, and so they were feeling probably pretty generous giving it eight Oscar nominations, mm-hmm. you know, and they were like, this doesn't fit in the category of best picture, but the writing is so good. I think about the Joker and his motives and how we can look on it in modern society and apply it to ourselves, and it's so intricate. I just, I love it, and I think it definitely deserved that. Yeah. So, uh, that being said, we'll put out the official spoiler alert ahead for this 11-year-old movie that if you haven't seen it, <laughs> where have you been, etc. but in the nicest way possible, go watch it, please. So we'll jump straight into spoilers, guys. Um, can we start with just the beginning of the movie, the whole opening yeah. bank robbery sequence? What were your guys' thoughts or new impressions maybe about that? Man, I loved it so much. I was getting really excited about it because... Right. The first thing you see is people, you know, the Joker holding a mask, essentially this guy holding a mask, gets in a vehicle, and then you see guys on the roof. And then you kind of go in and how the whole bank robbery plays out, right? And it's so clever in the way that it's been done. The, you know, the way that, okay, you know, after someone takes out this, someone's got to die. You know, it cuts down the shares, cuts down the shares, cuts down the shares. And then you have people who are scared in the bank. You have... The Joker, who doesn't say actually say a word throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing until essentially like the final moments of that scene where he says, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stranger, right? That's yep. his line essentially. Yeah. And, you know, you have the guy who's the loan officer or whatever he is in there and he pulls out a shotgun out of his office. But so, what so a scene. I put together, I mean, I didn't put together, I, I was listening to something and they brought up the fact that this bank teller just kind of when he just jumped up and started shooting at the guys who were stealing um and they mentioned that he is probably working hand in hand with the with the mob yeah and i'm like oh of course he does like oh he's the he's the leader of this he owns this bank it's the mob all the mob's money there of course he's a part of the freaking mob you know 
it's just something that why I just never I... put together for some reason. I just thought he was this guy who was just like overly into his bank. I'm going to make sure everything is safe. But no, he's scared of the mob as much as everyone else is. He knows the punishment that's going to come down to him when all the money's gone. Like, I never thought of that either. And I have no idea why not because it makes right? complete sense. And he's not just like one of those citizens trying to Mm-mm. do good. That makes complete sense. Yeah. Because he's, because he knows. Because doesn't he, he's like, you think you're smart, huh? You know who you're stealing from? Yeah. So he knows what's going on 100%. He's not just He has there. that line. How I've watched this movie so many times. <laughs> he has that line where he's like, you know who you're stealing of. He definitely knows. How did I miss that every time? <laughs> but I, I loved this intro um, because it sets up the Joker so perfectly, like you were saying, without the Joker saying a single word or even seeing him. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of like kind of the old James Bond movies, how they have those big action pieces before they cut to the the James Bond song and it gets you like into the movie, you know, and it gets you really set up for what's about to come. And that's what they do with this. They have this giant heist going on. And throughout the heist, they have these guys wearing these clown masks running around um talking about the guy who hired him you know have you heard this guy that he calls himself the joker oh yeah i hear he's what he paints his face it's like war paint or something yeah so you learn everything you need to about the villain of the movie throughout the scene and it builds up and it builds up to that point where joker pulls off the mask and like you said he has that delivery what i believe that you know, I believe make, that what doesn't kill you only makes you stranger. Yeah, or something he pulls like that. off that mask and you see him and you just like, can you imagine if you didn't see any trailers or anything for this movie and you see him pull off that mask, like the reaction you would get gasp. Yeah. He's just so creepy looking. Well, cause he's so creepy looking. And like you said, I think they perfectly set up. You learn who the Joker is. You learn what he's doing, like how crazy he is like everything that's going on with him at this time and then he pulls it off and it's everything you want because the music just drops and you see who it is and they do a very very good job the whole opening sequence i'll say a little more in just a second is like a cinematic masterpiece it's really really well made and they also it's really well made because even though his hair isn't like other jokers hair like some neon green it's still green and it's Mm -hmm. green at this moment they just do a really good job with the lighting and the way that they do the shots to have the back of his hair always behind the light so it just looks like dark hair except for I found one that was like three shots before he takes off his mask that as he's turning you can see the light hit it really quick kind and so you can see just like a quick hint of green but nothing that you'd notice unless you were you know, looking for the Joker mm-hmm. specifically like I was after having already seen the movie. So it's already amazingly done. The other thing I wanted to mention, because the whole opening is amazing and we can't spend too much time on it otherwise. Yeah, we'll be here all day. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's just how well the shots, the timing of the shots and the music fit with the story moving itself along. Because we'll talk about this the entire podcast, how they have that suspenseful note that's held out on a string instrument or something like that, that builds tension, you know, just that that goes Uh in it. So that happens a few times during the first sequence that you hear that. And then when something happens, the music it interrupts and it has like a little drop in sound. So the very first shot after you see, you know, the Batman thing coming through the flames is you see a building and it's just panning up to the building and it's a beautiful, gorgeous shot until snap, the window goes and you see the people shooting it out. And you don't know exactly what they're doing, but then you see them shoot that grappling hook 
and then it cuts to who is the Joker we learn we later learn right holding the mask and it just starts zooming up on the mask super slowly and the note holds and it gets louder and the tension grows until the car pulls up and it does the same thing and it drops so both the timing of the shots with the music to build that tension through the entire first sequence of the movie is incredible so mm-hmm. I guess I'll just say that about the opening it's all amazing but those are the things that really stuck out to me and mm-hmm. Really and, the, and then they continued, um, like, so they, they established the villain mm-hmm. throughout that sequence, and then they continued right into, I don't think there's anything between it, but they continued into the scene that introduces Batman for the first time with a, a drug bust going on at night, and it introduces the Chechen, which is one of the bad guys, and his dogs and his little gang, and he pulls up into the, the parking garage and uh, steps out of the car, throws out this druggy guy who's just like tripping out of his mind, and he's like all angry and saying that like, like look what your drug did to me, and out steps Cillian Murphy, the scarecrow's back, and they did such a like it's really cool that they kind of they never like like the Batman Begins has such a different feel than this one does. The city, like like you said, they have these really pretty shots of gotham in this one but gotham feels so much more real and so much less comic booky than it did in batman begins but they use little things to tie them together still cillian murphy coming back as the scarecrow was one of them and also if you pay attention in those big beautiful shots of gotham every once in a while you can still see between the buildings the train tracks from the first from batman begins where that kind of would have taken place everything goes to wayne tower yeah well because those are just the the regular trains, right, that they have there in, yeah, Chicago. in Chicago. Yeah, so uh, Gotham is shot in maybe. Chicago. Or does it look different? I feel like it's that double-decker train system that they they introduced from the first one. It, it looks a little out of place to me, but I've never been to Chicago, so I don't know. They have the trains that go above the city. Like, it's pretty Like, cool. through the buildings through and everything? Buildings. Oh, so it's maybe it's cool. just they, that, then. I think they have a subway, too, but most of their trains are above. Well, because um, when I, I went there, I experienced that, and it was, like, really cool to kind of float. I'd never floated... Because, like, I've been to New York, I've been to, like, Washington, D.C., all the subways are down down below. And with Chicago, when you go and you get in the airport, like, you go below some spots, but then once you get to the city, you're up Comes above. up between? Oh, yeah. okay. It's cool. really cool. I felt like I was getting a real, like, unique view of the city doing that. Sorry. Well, because it does that, and I know that I was, Casey was pretty fortunate. He got to go on, like, a boat tour or something Ooh, in yeah. Chicago where they point out the different buildings that they used in it. Uh-huh. I was in Chicago for, like five hours like that was my extent of being in chicago because i was in illinois visiting family i was nice and i drove my sister-in-law and her boyfriend up to see a concert me and my wife just checked out the city while they were at the concert a little bit and then we picked them up and drove back to our family's house so but even being there for that short amount of time like i was geeking out about the dark night because one of the places we were going to try and get into the main parts of the city and everything like that was the roads that went underground just like the movie they Mm -hmm. call it like fifth avenue or whatever when they go down and it's below where they have that whole scene with the joker trying to get harvey because he's in police custody and everything Mm -hmm. like that and i was geeking out i'm like oh my gosh this is totally that like this (laughs) is amazing that's so cool it is it is a cool city to go see after you've thought about it and we got on the the duck tour i it's not a duck tour but it's like a boat tour down the river and the lady is like pointing out so that's batman's penthouse this is the <laughs> this is what you'll notice is was shot as the bank it used to be this and it's really cool your own private tour of gotham i loved it <laughs> on a boat 
you know, free drinks for everyone. No, they're expensive, but it was a good time. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, that sounds way awesome. I'll definitely have to do that. I, I do want to kind of talk about, I thought it was really cool where they did bring the Scarecrow back, you know. That scene kind of shows, I don't know what you call it, the underbelly of Gotham, the people who are trying to run the show still. They're running into hiccups in their plans, right? Because the guy pulls him out. He's like, what's this? And he's like, I told you my, you know, my proc would take you places. I didn't say it was places you'd want mm-hmm. to go. Really, they're desperate. They're the running mob is in, desperate. They yeah. can't even find drugs to sell anymore. So they're buying from a psychopath that gives them hallucinogens that give them nightmares. Yeah, exactly. And just like Vince mentioned, it sets up Batman and the state of Gotham. Not state as in state, just the way that Gotham way is. is perfectly for this movie just like the beginning sequence set you up for who the joker is this sets up who batman is and what's going on with both the citizens who are trying to follow him and be good people and sort of help him out to how scared the mob is and what's going on and i mean it just perfectly within the first what like 10 minutes Mm -hmm. of this two and a half hour movie gives you the entire premise the entire feel for everything that needs to happen. Because unlike the other ones where they travel outside Gotham a lot, this is all inside Gotham. I don't think there's a single part where they leave, is there? They go to Hong Kong for a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's true. That's yeah. pretty cool. My bad. But Sorry, I, I was like, I remember no, that. They definitely do. <laughs> that's, I forgot that. But so it's just, it sets you up perfectly for the entire situation. So it's really good. Moving. Do you want to go with the... Well, we're kind of kind of going forward and looking at it, right? So at the end of this scene, he just rips off, you know, the mask of the scarecrow and leaves him there chained up. And then he walks out and the citizen says, what gives you the right to do what you're doing? You know, and Batman's like, I don't need help. Setting himself up as kind of a lone ranger, you know, he's the dark knight. And then we kind of go into where we're, you know, being introduced one to Rachel again who's a new character in this one, right? New actress. Played by Maggie Gyllenhaal instead of uh, Holmes, Kate Holmes. Instead of Kate, Kate Holmes. Holmes, yeah. Just uh, really quick, a shout-out, though, to one of my favorite lines of the movie. What gives you the right? I'm not wearing hockey pants. I'm not wearing hockey pants. <laughs> you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Isn't that great, though, that they're, like, even though this is a very serious movie, <laughs> there are these one-liners that still give you a little chuckle throughout it because this is, like, I feel like this is a dark movie. Like oh, overall, yeah. the over, whole tone of it is dark. But yeah, getting into it, you're reintroduced to you know Rachel, and then you're also introduced to Gotham's White Knight, you know Harvey Dent, and that kind of sets us up for what's going on in the system as far as how is the law stepping up to help Batman? Yeah, exactly. Like you mentioned before, how the law, even though technically Batman is a vigilante, how they're dealing with all of it with both Batman helping them so that they can really, in their minds, hopefully put an end to the large mobs that have ruled the city for such a long time, you know, it being such a large city and having all these problems trying to put a stop to it. Um, With the introduction of both Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent and Katie Holmes, or not Katie Holmes, sorry, Katie Holmes, the old one, Maggie, right, Gyllenhaal? Mm -hmm. Maggie Maggie Gyllenhaal as the new Rachel, small nitpick for me i mean not as far as movie going i i mean you guys can say if you felt the same way or not i like the old rachel better that's one of the only nitpicks i have about the movie i mean they couldn't really control it so yeah it's not necessarily about the movie i just prefer kitty holmes yeah uh maggie gyllenhaal did great i i i liked her i I don't know i didn't like i i feel like maggie gyllenhaal had better acting 
chops than Kate, Katie Holmes did. Katie Holmes, for me, she was she played. I I agree that Maggie Gyllenhaal had better acting chops. You know, they once Katie Holmes wasn't coming back, they have Maggie Gyllenhaal. That was one of like the best moves that they could have made, knowing the situation they had. But Katie Holmes played Rachel as so sweet and innocent and just that childhood friend that Bruce has already had. And then Maggie Gyllenhaal, right from the start, as they're leaving you know, the court, she's talking to Harvey Dent and she talks about, she's like, oh, they're not shooting at you. They're not doing your job. And in that instant, you already get a feel that Rachel's like different from the first yeah. one. At least for me, that's how I've always felt. She says that line. And I know that this isn't the same Rachel from the first one, or that she's changed somehow. Yeah. So. Yeah, and bringing up that scene where where the reason that she says that 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 if they're not shooting at you, right? Aaron or uh, Two Face, um, Harvey Dent, he he actually is in the courtroom, and he is he's got Maroney on the bench, and they're trying to put him away, and they got one of his low level thugs who pulls a gun out on him in the middle of court and tries to shoot him. Um, it kind of shows there what Harvey's kind of doing for the city here. He's the new district attorney. He's working to stop the mob. He's willing to do whatever it takes. And he's kind of, he kind of, you brought up, he was the white knight, Gotham's white knight, whereas Batman's Gotham's dark knight. Um, they, they kind of reflect each other a lot through the movie. Batman is the one working in the shadows, breaking the laws that have to be broken, doing all these things that he has to do. Whereas Harvey, the light, the white knight is working in the daytime. He's following the laws. Neither of them are scared of the mob. Both of them are, are willing to put themselves in front of the guns to be shot at. And, and Maggie, or, uh, excuse me, um, Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, Rachel, she finds herself kind of torn between these two men who have a lot of similarities they're they're willing to fight for the city they're willing to do everything it takes and and throughout the movie she's trying to decide you know which one am i going to go for am i going to wait for bruce wayne to decide he doesn't want to be batman anymore am i going to go with harvey dent who is working who who isn't obsessed with being this alter ego and even you know bruce says to her partway through the movie he says that he's you know trying not to do that and so even though he's saying that Harvey Dent's going to take over as the person who can put away the bad guys without wearing a mask he's saying that so he can stop being Batman she'll be with him that's almost like a pro for her mm-hmm. for Harvey Dent right is that he's doing all this stuff without mm-hmm. needing to wear a mask and beat up all these people but they work really well together if you think about it even though he does it one way she has another way. I mean, later on when Bruce Wayne or Batman, he goes and gets the guy in China and he brings it back. And because of that, they're able to do the entire Rico case where they put all those people away. They work really well together. But like you said, the whole movie is about the contrast and doing it the one way, which is technically illegal, but doing it or the other way. I would love to jump into probably my favorite scene in the movie. I guess Joker's already been in- introed in the beginning, but the first time that we really see who the Joker is and what he's capable of through his actions, and that's when the mob is having their therapy their therapy daylight therapy session, <laughs> and Joker walks in with the creepiest Joker laugh out of all the Joker laughs. Like Mark Hamill does a great job, but that that laugh that he does as he's kind of walking into the room, it it's just it's so creepy and. 
you you talked Casey about how this movie is it's it's a heavier movie you know mm-hmm. it's a serious movie the comic relief the co- like the the places where i found myself laughing the most was at the joker <laughs> which is kind of ironic because he is this clown man but he's like terrifying but his like his facial expressions his the way he laughs the way he talks to people or the, like when the gamble one of the mobsters mm-hmm. calls him crazy he's like he just kind of looks at him. He's like, I'm not. I am not. Or something. I, mean, yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I found myself like like laughing at those, like at the normal way he talks, the normal way he laughs, the the little like towards the end of the movie in the chasing under the under the ground that we brought up. Uh when Batman comes in and shoves that, like crashes into the dump truck. Um, Joker kind of like turns and he's just kinda like, huh. You know, he like makes a makes a, a noise. <laughs> kind of like that that i just like it makes me laugh like he's just like calculating and like thinking of all these things and he's just like not quite taking things seriously still i mean he is but he's like surprised at things too and the way he reacts to it i thought was really funny yeah well he kind of talks about this at the end of the film and i think it's something good to reference at this point too he talks about like the contrast between batman and the joker he's like you and i like we give each other purpose essentially like what would i do without you you know i'm like a i'm like a dog chasing cars if i caught one i just wouldn't know what to do with it right and at this point a lot of people are like you see the madness but you also see the genius of the joker because he walks into this meeting right and the very first thing gamble right he says you know who invited the clown and you know then he's like look at this he wants to make a pencil this year boom you know kills the guy like by stuffing the pencil down his eye socket and such but then like he goes into the plan and he goes in there with such a like a ballsy idea he's like like how much do you want you know why have you done already and he's like well never do something for free if you're good at it and then i want half and he says that with such you know like just half like, mm-hmm. doesn't care and everyone's like you're crazy whew, what a no, what, a, what an idea not. right yeah it it really sets up the like you said the tone of the joker and what he's willing to do because this guy is relentless and you know you look at some of his features and characteristics and i i hate to say it like this but he almost reminds me of somebody who has like a mental illness that's really strong got some help kind of got their meds meds worked out the chemicals in their body worked out but then just (laughs) went off you know again and who now has found a purpose although it's not the greatest purpose ever and so yeah the joker sets himself up really well and then the you know the um bombs and stuff in his his jacket like he's just not afraid yeah yeah definitely he's not afraid to because he knows what he's doing he's walking into the session of literally the largest people who besides the government control the entire city and he's walking in alone by himself and so he knows that he's got this sort of safe wire these grenades in his coat but he just he would go down with it and he's totally fine with that so I definitely agree that that is also one of my favorite scenes. It's it. also interesting exploring the character of the Joker a little bit more. Gam- if you notice, Gamble is the only one that Joker went after in the mob and actually like killed himself. And I think that the reason he does it is someone calls him crazy, he says he's not crazy, and then Gamble calls him a freak. And I think the Joker is a little insecure, not insecure, but he's just like, I'm not going to take anyone's crap. You push me like 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 you push me over the line, and I'm gonna step back because in the next like a little bit later down the movie, he ends up going to gamble, straight up killing Gamble and a couple of his men and recruiting his people. I'd agree that he's not insecure, but you can see at that moment 
that he's definitely struggled with things like that in the past because he says, like, ah, I like me. And Gamble says, a freak. And then you can see, even though he still goes on with his plan, that he it has, he's like him. a guy. Look, look. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you oh. can see he's offset by it. So good. And so I agree with you that he definitely does that. Um, so let's move forward so that we have time to get to everything in the movie. Although, <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be hard because we could like dissect like every single every scene, scene in this movie is good. Yeah. So it's going to be hard to skip over things because I want to talk about everything, but we, we're limited amount of time. Let's talk about like another. I, I know that this you talked about this is one of your favorite scenes. I think one of my favorite scenes is when we get to Wayne Tower when Bruce Wayne is doing a fundraiser for Harvey Dent. And, you know, it's kind of this posh get together and everyone's, you know, rubbing each other's backs and getting cozy so they can give Harvey Dent money, hopefully, right? And then in comes Bruce Wayne, you know, in a helicopter in most definite Playboy fashion. Three girls with him. Three girls getting out of the thing. And they walks in and he essentially mocks Harvey Dent. And then, you know, talks about his slogan, like, and I believe in Harvey Dent. And, you know, I've gotten to the point that I actually do type thing. And then we start seeing, you know, all of this that's going down. The Joker, he's made threats on very certain people's lives, right? Like the commissioner. He makes threats against the judge, and then he makes threats against Harvey Dent. And so two of the three of them, unfortunately, gone. But then we have Harvey Dent, who Bruce Wayne is, Harvey Dent is talking to his lady, and then Bruce Wayne just comes up behind him, puts him in a sleeper hold, and drags him off. And I love that. And then, you Mm -hmm. know, out comes the Joker, out comes the Batman, and kind of moving forward from there, we have ourselves a very big setup on decision-making throughout the film, but also the real twist of what's going to go forward and how, you know, the Joker may have figured out who the Batman is. And also how iconic and incredible Heath Ledger's performance is, because we'll mention it so many times. And a lot of times we'll just say it as, oh, the Joker, he's so good with this. There's very good writing for the Joker in this movie, amazing writing, but it would not be possible without with what Heath Ledger did for it. So this scene is one of my favorite scenes, especially to look at just how incredible Heath Ledger is because he comes in, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, we're tonight's entertainment. You hear that bar crash in the background, just like that little something, and he turns and looks. That was just something on set that had (laughs) fallen, and he just looked at it, and he just kept going without even a moment's pause. And in that same shot... It follows him, and he starts talking to everyone, looking for Harvey Dent. And you just see how crazy he is because he's looking at everyone. You know where Harvey is. You know where Harvey is. He grabs a glass of champagne, throws all the champagne out of it, and then he takes a drink from this empty glass. <laughs> I mean, he's just crazy. And then when you get to the part where he finds Harvey's little squeeze, right, when he finds Rachel, and he's talking to her, and he gives his first why so serious speech or you want to know how i got these scars speech right and when he does that he's holding her really really close to his face and you feel so uncomfortable because while he's delivering this chilling story that later we question if this is real if something else is real and we have no clue the camera is continuously spinning around the two making you feel uncomfortable until the moment he says and then i carved my face and it stops just to like push the push how important that part is and what i loved about that part also with heath ledger was he was so creepy in this scene that maggie gyllenhaal you see how uncomfortable she is sort of squirming maggie gyllenhaal wanted to cut 
the scene because oh, really? Heath Ledger was being super crazy. He was holding this obviously fake, but knife up to her face. He was excuse me. He was grabbing her like in her cheeks, right next to her mouth, her huh. face. She was genuinely uncomfortable, which is obviously you know you don't want to have like a bad workplace experience, but that's just how into the character Heath Ledger was, and obviously it produced an amazing outcome. Yeah, and all of us feel so awkward and look deeper because we already know the Joker's setup and what he wants to do with the city, but then we look deeper in his personal background and what set him up for this and also just what he's thinking, what's going through his mind. And this is the second story that the Joker has told, backstory. Um, um, the first time he tells one to gamble right before he kills him, a story about how he got the scars. And then this is the oh, second time he tells the story about how he got I the scars. I thought that was after this. No, so the first one is when he kills Gamble, and he talks about how his dad was a drinker and a fiend, and you know he takes the knife and puts it in my mouth, and why so serious? Boom, and then then this one with with Maggie and stuff, he talks about his wife and how she's so beautiful, and he just wants her to, you know, smile smile. because she has some scars, and he's like, I take the razor, I put in my mouth, and she can't even stand to look at me, you know, and it's that's such an intense, like he's telling these stories, so it sets up also what what this specific joker's character went through to get to what he is right and it's it's deep and dangerous so yeah do you remember what the third one is where where the third one takes place crickets <laughs> I, can't I can't remember, remember let me look that up for a moment that's okay this actually uh after he finishes okay <clears throat> so after uh, so after the joker comes in he grabs uh, Rachel threatens her. Batman shows up, saves the day. This brings me to Vince's costume corner, where we're gonna talk about the bat suits. Sorry, it's, it's a comic book. <laughs> yeah. Bat suits. <laughs> I can't, I can't watch a superhero movie and not talk about the costumes for a minute. We get a new bat suit in this one. In that scene with the drug bust, you see Batman jump on the side of the van and he's cutting the thing, and you notice that he can't turn his head to see what he's cutting. Mm-hmm. So, just like in real life, they, they put it into the movie. They wrote it into the movie. Just in, in real life, they wanted Batman to be able to move his head. And so they redesigned the entire suit around that one aspect. Sure, make backing out of the driveway easier. Yeah. <laughs> and they made this easily the coolest suit in all superhero movies. Like... They cheat with CGI a little bit in the Marvel movies. This is a, a real suit that they made that you could wear in the sunlight and doesn't look weird. Like how many characters, how many superheroes have you seen? TV shows, movies, everything that wears a mask, wears a, the Batman Caliber's face that doesn't look just a little bit off. This bat suit is so perfectly made for Christian Bale that even wearing the mask on his head, he looks like a freaking badass. <laughs> winning all i can say is agreed i mean vince put up the little poll on instagram about who wore it better casey affleck or ben affleck ben affleck my bad or um or christian, Bale. christian Bale. Bale. i almost have like ben stiller like i have no <laughs> oh idea where my mind's at right now it's like the most comedic batman ever let's throw ben stiller in there next no, my apologies. So, and it was what, like ninety to ten percent, ninety percent to ten percent for. Oh Christian yeah, Bale, people right? love the Bell costume. I voted for Bell. Yeah, it was ninety percent voted Bell, ten percent voted Affleck. Um, some of the just a shout out to some of you guys. Thanks for again, thanks for commenting. 
uh, my buddy Tony says the grays and Affleck the grays in the Affleck suit look like a burlap bag. Props to Bell's Bruce who who orders his original mask from AliExpress in the movie. <laughs> um, Benji Stone Ten says the Affleck he likes the Affleck suit more. Bell is a better Batman though. Uh, Sophia Bills she's a little more passionate. Thanks for uh, it was a fun little conversation. Um, she says that the suit the the Christian Bale suit looks quicker. Um, he's less beefy. Um, looks more quick and efficient, and he looks more like an assassin than a security guard, which goes really well with this this version of Batman that we have, who's more, you know, he got trained by ninjas. So, of course, he's going to kind of have more of that ninja look than that brawler look. So, oh, and, and Allie Yardley, shout out to Allie. She says, bail suit, no contest. <laughs> I agree. So thanks, guys, for uh, for commenting that, for for, you know, jumping on and, Discussing that with me. Although I agree with some of these things that I said, I love the Bill suit, right? The this Eero suit. I have a thing for Ben Affleck's suit because it reminds me of like the Batman cartoons that I grew up with a little bit more. It also reminds me of, you know, just the classic, you know, comic look of Batman in a way before they kind of altered him and changed him a bunch. I didn't necessarily think that Ben Affleck was a great Batman, but I like the suit a little bit because it reminds. Okay, so when they made the comics, I think these are these were made before I was a kid, so they're kind of a little bit older. They're made in the late, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, so like before I can recall most of life. Like Batman was like big, broad-shouldered, and like that's how Ben Affleck's Batman was portrayed, and mm-hmm. he did have the grayer suit. I guess I agree with all of you though, because I agree that the the Christian Bale suit is better, but I like the Ben Affleck suit uh, just a little bit. So. I, I have no problem with it either. I just think the bell suit's better. Yeah. What do you think? I Josh? agree that the bell suit is better and it looks like a more modern Batman. Before I saw Affleck, because I haven't seen, I mean, I saw like Batman versus Superman and a few of the new ones. I haven't watched a lot of the new Justice League. And before I saw the word Affleck, I saw the two suits and I thought you were comparing Bale with an older Batman. Because, like Casey says, it does look more on the retro side with that very light gray and then the dark Batman on it. Obviously, you can see the Batman better, but the Bale suit, like Sophia said, it looks like he's an assassin, you know, Mm -hmm. super crazy. Did you guys think that it was very realistic right at that next part when they jump out and they fall all the way onto that car? Do you think that they should have lived? You know, you got to... It's the only part that I think is you gotta maybe tra- not realistic. Yeah, you got to rationalize it in your brain. Maybe he used the cape to slow him down a little bit more, but he really hit that car hard. The, do, the one thing that I do love about this version of Batman, of superheroes in general, is he actually gets hurt. Like, like there was a scene from... Uh, there's a scene from Spider-Man where he got hurt, and in the next scene, he's kind of just fine, you know? It's a... It's a it's a superhero trope kind of power sets aren't what's the word i'm looking for consistent yeah i feel like in this in in the dark knight they're very consistent about the damage that he takes he has in one scene he's spitching he's stitching up bite marks from a dog he's got bruises all over his back he's got cuts and uh i feel like he kind of i mean even at the end of the movie when he falls off the building he's limping away throughout the whole thing i feel like he is actually feeling pain he is actually a real guy he's not a superhero like we get in some of the future editions and that's sort of what makes it so good right sort of as we talked about in the beginning the the more realistic feel i agree Mm -hmm. all right perfect so moving right along in the movie gosh guys this is going to be 
forever long episode if we keep doing it like yeah. this. But it's so amazing. And how can we not do this? <laughs> it's almost like we have to do this to, or we're not giving justice to the movie. In the words of all skiers and snowboarders everywhere, just send it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did want to bring up something just really quick to see if maybe you guys thought the same thing as me or maybe I was just thinking a little bit crazy just before this jumping back just the smallest little bit when Harvey Dent talks to Alfred and he says you've known Rachel your whole life and he says well not yet sir do you guys think that was a purposeful like allusion to the end when yeah I think they're kind of foreshadowing her death there see I had never noticed that until this point because obviously he says not yet and you're just like oh yeah because she's not dead yet haha but then if you think about it you're like but you will be (laughs) there was a lot more foreshadowing that i saw when i watched it more closely this time can we talk a little bit about let's talk about commissioner gordon and his hiding and coming back out near the end of the film right i don't know if this is jumping too far ahead so there's one point where they're honoring the dead right the people who have fallen um thus far in the movie and you know the joker plans out a very thought out Thing, right he's gonna disguise him and his people as the guard for this festivity or celebration of life or whatever you want to call it, memorial service and they you know do their part and then the final you know firing of this thing they turn to take out it's the mayor right yeah of the city commissioner gordon gets taken down and this is where we see harvey dent taken no, Harvey Dent's not taken at this point, right? He is taking... Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. I got ahead of myself there. But, um, you know, we see Commissioner Gordon fall, and then it's another sad moment for everyone. But it's kind of interesting to see the Joker's plans as they kind of unravel. And I'm not saying unravel because it's falling apart, but as he kind of goes through and does things, because they continue to be well-thought-out plans, because some criminals and some bad guys... When one thing doesn't go as planned or something kind of is successful in a moment, their plans get a little bit more sloppy, a little bit more sloppy, a little bit more sloppy. But throughout the whole entire Joker segments segment here, he keeps delivering. <laughs> yeah, and this is one of the things that I wasn't really sure about. Like, how did Joker plan for all of these outcomes, you know? Like, how did he know that he was going to get caught at one point? How do you know he's going to get thrown in jail? And how do you know that he needed to put a bomb inside of a guy to, to break him out? Yeah. So I was thinking about it, and I think I think that's seriously what it is. I think that he, he thrives on chaos, but he has so many plans put in action that I think that if he didn't get arrested in that moment, that guy with the bomb still would have ended up in the prison and blown up the prison. Yeah, I just think that the Joker is kind of like... He's just on top of things. He's on the ball. He's moving. He doesn't really know what to do next. He just puts plans in motion, and whatever ones work are the ones that work. So that was one of my favorite things that I thought about and learned this time watching the movie. Um, We had Vince's costume corner. Now it's time for (laughs) Josh's thought-out moment time. (laughs) So my thought-out moment of this movie was... It's sort of hard to say, and I apologize if this comes out wrong. The Joker thrives on chaos. He talks about, you know, in the scene where he's talking to Harvey Dent in the hospital later, he talks about how people are planners and how, or maybe it's uh, when he's burning up the money. I don't remember, but he talks about- It's when he's about, talking to Harvey Dent. Is it? It's when, it's after Harvey gets burned up and they're in the in hospital. The hospital. Mm-hmm. He talks about how people are planners and how they're trying to do things, but- 
the world is chaos and that's also he talks to harvey dent later and that's how he convinces him to sort of turn bad is because chaos is fair and so it's ironic because the joker thrives on chaos and making sure everything is out of order and crazy but he plans so hard Mm -hmm. to convince people that chaos is the way to go that chaos is what rules them and that everyone should be mad because chaos is what rules everything is what really should drive people because people have all these different rules that they live by but that they shouldn't and so yeah what does he say like everybody's fine until until something goes wrong everything's fine until if it everything's going as part of the plan you know like even he brings up war you know uh a soldier dies it's like a soldier dies no one bats an eye because it's part of the plan it's like yeah even in war we have a plan our plan is to sacrifice some of our men to win the game but as soon as he he threatens someone of importance throws a wrench in the plan and everyone loses their minds and he hates that he he doesn't think that that's fair well and at this moment too josh going along with your well thought out plan and idea um he talks about the the schemers, the people who are making the plans, but also the chaos within, right? And he's a schemer, and he's trying to give off the illusion that he's not making these plans. He's not trying to set things in, in motion so that he gets his outcome, which is chaos and the death of the Batman or, you know, various things. He's really just trying to bring on this illusion that he hasn't thought this out completely because mm-hmm. he's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm like a dog chasing cars. wouldn't know what to do. But really... He knows what he's doing, and he's not shying back about it. Yeah. I wrote, in my notes, I wrote, he's not a schemer, but he has a plan. His plan is intricate to instill chaos. So even though he plans very deeply, he has no end result, Mm. just chaos. So even though he plans so hard, he's not planning to get to a certain conclusion. His conclusion is chaos. He just does and does So it's like a back and forth is that. Says he wants chaos but he has a really good plan, but that plan is just so that there's chaos. So that goes back and forth. Which kind of brings me, I guess, in a way to my other favorite scene of the movie, because every scene is my favorite scene of the movie, but I want to talk about the interrogation scene. (laughs) My favorite scene of the movie. Go for it. I literally, I mean, we're trying to get him on here in a little bit. My old high school teacher who taught me English and film lit, we did these different reports and for our film lit class about cinematography and different things and he said you can pick scenes from different movies or you can just pick one scene from one movie and do it for all the different reports for production design and these other things i did this scene for every single one of those reports because i love it so much it starts out so dark and with them just being in there talking to each other with commissioner gordon and the joker and you don't know the batman's in there yet and they're talking to each other and it just hides it so well and it lets you it's sort of like a a duller i don't want to say a dull like bad point of the movie but it just feels more low-key low-paced and they're talking to each other when really as we learn throughout this scene it's about to vamp up really hard stuff is going down i mean we know that both harvey dent and rachel are missing but they're talking to each other really chill until commissioner gordon leaves and you see batman come in and i have a lot more you know thoughts about the end of it but what do you guys think like initial thoughts on the interrogation scene casey you can't just slam somebody's head on the table it distorts (laughs) them and it doesn't make them all fuzzy yeah it makes them all fuzzy i love this scene for so many reasons but yeah mainly because this is where you really see that batman has enough of a hold 
on the confidence of the people that they're willing to let him break the rules, even though he's a vigilante and technically they should be hunting him down in ways. And they're, you know, the investigation for the Batman is ongoing, which is left between Elvis, Sasquatch, and something else, right? A piece of pizza or something. But really, it shows the the uniqueness that in times of desperation, and this is something also Harvey Dent talks about too, you know, people will elect a, a leader and, you know, some a beacon of hope to do that. And in ways, the police force has agreed to Batman, even though they're not completely with him. Although they've also elected Harvey Dent as this, and that's why they have to find Harvey. You know, Commissioner Gordon, I have to find Harvey Dent. And so it's, to me, like, this is a very pivotal moment. Yes, slow, but important. It accelerates really quickly because it starts slow, but it builds the intensity. And especially when Batman shows up and he starts throwing him around physically, it builds the intensity. One of the slower parts, but that takes you aback, is when they're talking really slowly and they're like, where's Harvey Dent? And he's like, well, what time is it? And like, Why does that matter? Like, well, he could be in one spot or many, depending on the time. So even though it's super chill, you're like, whoa, wait yeah. a second, like what's going on? Everything you guys said is spot on on this. The scene is so perfectly done. Um, I also, I guess I just want to add on top of all that is this is the moment that we see the, we talked about the reflection between Harvey Dent and Batman as the the dark knight and the white knight, light knight or whatever. This is where we see the opposition between the Joker and Batman, where the Joker just wants to keep on doing whatever he can. He's going to keep pushing. He's going to keep killing. He's going to do anything he wants. And the Batman's going to fight him no matter what. He's going to keep going. He's going to keep going. But he will never break that one rule, which is the one rule that Joker wants him to break, to kill. They're the opposites in everything they do, and they always crash. They always hit together. And Joker believes that if he can push Batman just over that edge to kill then it's proof of his point that everyone has their breaking point. And he loves that he found this new guy that's not the, you know, what does he say? I don't want to rip off the mobs anymore. I can't go back to that. Like, like I've got <laughs> no, you. No, You're no, perfect. No. I don't want to kill you. I want I want to keep doing this. We're going to keep going forever. It's it's an immovable, immovable rock versus... Uh, an impenetrable force. Impenetrable force. End, right? yeah. All it needs is a little push. So I love the interrogation scene when it moves forward because the Joker has so many not quotable but interesting lines in it. Like he says the one but then he starts to try and make Batman question the people he works with. He tries to make him question the police by sort of making the audience not necessarily empathize with him but just stop and force the audience to look at his situation when he says, I'm not a monster I'm just ahead of the curve. Yeah. And so you think, like, wait, why is he doing these things? It's because he thinks he's found a better solution for humanity and for society is what it's looking at in his mind. Um, and then you have the part where he says it's the one rule you'll have to break. And then... I also like how he, um, like, points out to Batman that, that they're not that much different. Again, back to their they're kind of the two heads, two of the same coin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where... He believes, like, everyone calls me a freak. What do you think that they're calling Batman? He's a guy who runs around at night dressed as a bat, fighting bad guys, punching bad guys. He's like, you're, you're just like me, you know? We're the same here. And as soon as they don't need you anymore, as soon as you finish what you're doing, they're going to turn on you just like they don't, you they're, they're going after me. Exactly. And so then it keeps on going, and it ramps up and ramps up until he says, 
well, you're going to have to listen to me if you want to save one of them. And you're just like, wait, what? Like, what's going on? Because I know that they didn't know where Dent was, but I'm pretty sure that we didn't know that Rachel was missing yet at this point, if I'm not mistaken. Because No, I think this is where you find it out, yeah. Yeah, because he says that if you want to save one of them, because this is the point where Batman turns completely hostile. He puts the the thing in front of the door and he starts just completely wailing on the Joker. But that's why it's so amazing. And the Joker says it perfectly in the speech that he gives right now is no matter how hard he beats him, he says, you have nothing on me. He mm-hmm. says, this is where I can beat you. You can destroy me physically. And he even mentions it later on in the movie. Yeah. He's like, you think I'd put the fate of Gotham's soul on a fist fight between me yeah. and you? You're crazy. <laughs> and so, but he knows at this moment, mentally in his planning for chaos you have nothing on me i have all the cards all of the control right now and you have to do what i say and he tries to give him to make the choice right because he knows that batman will get there faster than the police not to move past it yet but that's where we can go the twist is right then he gives him the wrong addresses and so even though he made him made that choice he lied to him and so it made him lose the thing that he loved most right Gosh. Yeah, so Rachel ends up getting blown up. Rip. Harvey Dent gets half his face set on fire. Looks freaking awesome. So uh, cool. Side note, this is one of the little bit of CGI that they used instead of practical effects is on Harvey Dent's face. And the reason was that Christopher Nolan with prosthetics thought that Harvey Dent's face looked bigger and he wanted it to look smaller. And so they used the CGI to just like, you know, get the the look of just the skull there. Yeah, they have, I see, I have the like extra everything from Uh the Dark Knight trilogy. And when I was watching one of the bonus features, it's just that CGI they have when he's doing it acting. They just have like a bald cap on half of his head and then he just has little dots on his face. Mm -hmm. Right. So he's just acting like normal. But then they do the cgi there because so, it would look bigger instead of you know sunken in like it should yeah it's yeah. just a skull on his bones so I'm, I'm probably gonna jump over a bunch of stuff is there anything else you guys want to any other scenes you want to jump mean, into before we kind of no, head go, to the go, end go. i mean so it has to move. It's gotta yeah joker ends up uh winning in the end of this movie which is kind of crazy like i i couldn't think of another movie where the villain wins with the exception of infinity war but game of thrones game of thrones what Brightburn. which one Brightburn. Brightburn, okay. <laughs> that movie was so bad, Vince, you've already <laughs> forgotten. <laughs> what? But uh but we find out there that like I guess Joker's endgame is is the corruption of the city. And so he ends up putting all the people on the ferry. He ends up you you did you disagree with me? He sort of wins. Because he wins by turning Harvey Dent. Right. Uh-huh. You talked about before how he's trying to put so many plans in motion because even though he plans so well, it's still chaos. And so he had this plan where he tried to make Batman break his rule, right? Right. And so that would have shown that Batman can be turned. And he has this plan to try and turn Harvey Dent. And that one eventually does work. So And in my opinion, that's more effect like the more effective win for him because Harvey Dent, if he's if he is shown as this evil corrupt person, everything that he did in the light, everything he did that was according to the law gets questioned, gets turned around, and, and everybody they put in jail throughout the movie gets let go. Everything they did gets un- is becomes undone. And I agree, because that was sort of part of a bigger plan, right? Because, you know, if Batman turned and did something like that, then it would have been 
pretty good. But even then, Joker had a larger plan, right? Because he mm-hmm. knew he'd be captured, and then he was going to try to escape and everything that goes down later on the ferries and everything. So I think he does win a bigger victory, but he doesn't do everything that he hoped he would because he thought that you know, the people would blow each other up on the boat mm-hmm. because that's what Batman says in the end, right? Not to go all the way there, but when he says... You know, you, were you just trying to prove that everyone is as ugly as you deep down inside? He's like, the people just proved you wrong. So even though he does turn Dent, there's a lot more plans, like you said, from all his many plans that didn't go according to him. So he wins, but he loses some. Well, I think in this regards as well in the aspects here, the Joker corrupting Harvey Dent was a true... Like, it's a true reflection of how we view often, like, real culture and real society, right? And I, I, like, I always hate feeling like I'm getting into politics here, but you put the person who everyone is looking towards as an example or a light to, you know, guide us as, like, a, you know, a vessel, right, to guide us, and you, the media twists them in a wrong way or they're put in a wrong place. And what happens everywhere else? So it's chaos. News media eats that up. They all tell different variations of the story. So at this point, once we figure out that kind of Harvey has gone kind of off the rails and he's now, you know, two-faced and he's he's going around flipping his burnt and shiny coin, it needed to be so. But what really needed to be was that Commissioner Gordon had to have him left in a good light as to not destroy the city any further because chaos also runs off of what we're fed and what we read what we hear on the news and stuff like that and so keeping batman as the vigilante and as the problem helped them keep in light that there was hope that an ordinary citizen could pick up the mantle and cause change uh that, that's how I saw it. And no, that's 100% what it was. Because well, that's almost the entire premise for what sets up the third film, right? The Dark Knight Rises was about how important it was. And they had Harvey Dent Day and everything because so that they could show they couldn't let the Joker win to the citizens. They had to show the city that even when the Joker tried his hardest, he couldn't turn Harvey Dent. They had Batman who went all bad, but he was already a vigilante. So it wasn't as bad as... You know, like we mentioned, it was a bigger win for the Joker, but mm-hmm. they didn't let the people see it. The coin getting burned is one of my favorite, you know, symbolic things of the movie because just by Batman putting that there and him looking at it, he both knows the fate of himself because he knows what happened there. He knows that he survived and Rachel died. He knows so many things just from looking at that. And it's beautifully shot because even though he's screaming and yelling, it's a silent moment besides some slight music and soundtrack in the background, right? So it's it was, one of my favorite. Things. It was kind of the the last thing that Harvey Dent needed to break him to to push him over the edge. Yeah, he woke up and he saw the coin. Yeah, like exactly like you said. Like he woke up, he saw the coin, he saw the two halves, and he's just like, "There's no justice in the world. The only the only just thing is the flip of a coin, chance. you know? Chance. It's just chance, and that that sends him on his murder spree, going back, going out and get reven- getting revenge on everyone that, that that had wronged him, because he believes that he's the only one that lost anything through this whole this whole movie. Something I want to talk about there when they're in the hospital is that this is part of where we see the Joker's chaos, but also his plan. The entire scene where he talks to Tar- Harvey Dent that sort of pushes him over the edge a little bit more is. He tries to convince him, hey, chaos, it's fair, right? 
And so he does the whole thing where he lets him put the gun to his head, right? And he says, I'll flip the coin, you live, you die. And the Joker's like, I like it because he's just doing chaos. But if you look really closely, the Joker has his hand on the gun and his finger is blocking the... The hammer. The hammer, yes. You guys are good. I don't know much about guns. So that (laughs) even if he did pull it, he wouldn't have actually died, right? So even though he's like, do I look like a guy with a plan? Even though all he wants is chaos, the Joker is a man with a plan. Yeah. As much as he tries not to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, he just wants to put off this this vibe that, like you said earlier, and I, I keep feeling like a, I'm beating a dead horse here, but chaos is the is the king. But really, the schemers, it really shows the schemers win in this film. Moving forward really quickly, the also another one of my favorite Heath Ledger moments is his ability to improvise throughout the movie. They bought an old abandoned candy factory, if I remember right, and they blew it up for the scene where they blow up Gotham General, right? And when Heath Ledger is walking out in the nurse's suit, all cute when the building's blowing up behind him, right? There was really malfunctioning equipment, and so the explosion was not as big as it was supposed to be. So the whole part where he turns around and he's like, what the heck is this? Like, what's going on? It's just all improvised yeah, because stuff was going wrong. But then they had a fail-safe that was like, you know, where that explosion happens, like to sort of set everything off more. And so he was just sort of, you know, acting through it. And so it was really good, really well improvised. So cool. Well, talking Very about Heath Ledger's improvising, right? A lot of actually his body movements and kind of when he was like licking his mouth and stuff, that is all improvised. None of that is planned. And he picked up some of those ticks himself. And people didn't know what to do because, like you said, in many of the scenes, people were genuinely afraid of him because of he was unpredictable. And there have been other people who played the Joker since. Shout out to Jared Leto. You just tried to copy Heath Ledger, and you were weird and creepy the whole time, but not the creepy we needed. So, <laughs> um, yeah, stuff like that is it's really interesting because he was so natural at being this villain. And... <laughs> Notice how everything that we talk brings us back to the Joker. Yep. Like, he is just the best part of this movie, this entire thing. This He's the hero film. he deserved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Because we can talk about Christian Bell, he did his role. You know, he was a fine Batman. Well, he did. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, there's an interview where even Christian Bell admits that that the first scene that they shot was the interrogation scene. And he sat down, and Heath Ledger's over here telling him to hit him in real life because he wants it to look real. And Christian Bale says he was sitting there thinking, I'm prepared, but this what he's doing is so much more interesting than anything I can bring to the table. Like, <laughs> there's nothing that he could have done to top this performance. It's true, because they all do their parts, and we'll have our different standout actors and stuff, but it's obvious and it's just for me i'd have to think about it a lot more but i think that heath ledger playing the joker could be one of the most iconic roles ever played by anyone in all of movie history ever and something so amazing that just you can always have a joker in your movie but for me personally it will never be heath ledger as the joker i'm kind of i'm kind of curious because i agree with you Heath Ledger will forever be the Christian Bale Joker. And his Dark Knight appearance as a Joker is amazing. And I don't ever want people to think that I didn't think this guy is a good Joker. But there is a Joker origin film coming out, and I'm excited for it. Yeah. I know it's getting off the rails a little bit, but Joaquin know. Phoenix, 
I'm excited for him. I'm very excited as well. It looks incredible. And Joaquin Phoenix, if anybody, can do a good job yeah. with it. He's mm-hmm. an amazing actor, and I love him. Is that how you say it? Joaquin? Joaquin. Well, because oh. it's Spanish, right? Oh, sorry. Well, I don't, I don't it know could be Joaquin, really Joaquin, Joaquin, Joaquin mm-hmm. right? Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, Joaquin, if you're out there. <laughs> if we're butchering it, my apologies. We're not very um, good with names here. I loved you and her. Shout out. <laughs> but anyway, so... I'm so sad, obviously, with everything that happened with Heath Ledger because they set it up really well that even though Bane would still be the main villain, that Joker could still have a role in The Dark Knight Rises. And if Heath Ledger hadn't passed away, he probably would have been Mm -hmm. in there. They would have had to tone it down so much to make sure that the Joker didn't steal the show again. Mm -hmm. But he would have been in there, and it would have been so interesting to see the role that they would play both him and Bane because they're such different characters and while they believe in a lot of the same things it's so different right mm-hmm. and so I mean that's something that I just would have loved to see just thinking oh, yeah, about the trilogy and how it ends out how they would have written that and what could have happened yes yeah. so what just, I, it's what I sit up late at night thinking about <laughs> <laughs> so just to kind of wrap up my final thoughts and uh, wrap up the movie in general so so one of the things I was really impressed with is there isn't really a fight scene in this entire movie like Batman throws punches, but the fights aren't really that impressive, and they're really short. Like my the the coolest fight scene that I, in my opinion, was in the nightclub when he's going after Maroni. But usually, when you get these superhero movies, they build up to this big fight scene in the end where they're punching and blowing up buildings, and and then it ends with them defeating the villain. You know, this movie's completely different. And trying to rad, wrap up my thoughts, this is what I think the movie, why this movie stands out so much, is because. It's a really exciting scene at the end where Batman jumps down and he's running through the building and he's saving the civilians who are dressed as the the bad guys mm-hmm. um, using the sonar beacon that we didn't really cover. I can just kind of glass over that. They created a sonar beacon that Batman is using to track down the Joker. Using uh, everyone's cell phones. Yep. And uh, it, it's really cool that it's, it's not him running around punching people. It's him using, it's a really exciting action scene, but it's him saving people. And it's him stopping the police from doing something they're going to regret. And it kind of sets up the, the believability in the news media and the police force that Batman did turn on people because he's actually fighting, fighting cops. And I just, this movie, my last thought, this movie stands out so much because it's, the performances are amazing. The story's amazing. It's filmed incredibly. And it's a large-scale city threat that feels so personal between, really, these three guys, right? The Joker, Harvey Dent, and Bruce Wayne Batman. Mm -hmm. It really comes down to those three. But the threat is throughout the entire city. People are getting killed. Joker tells people not to go across the bridge because he'll blow them up if they go across. And so it's like some of these movies, they have a hole in the sky and they're threatened to blow up the city and they they put a big like suicide squad. They throw a big hole in the sky and it's a big world-threatening event. This is a this is a city world-threatening event. Maybe not world-threatening. It's a city-threatening event, but it feels so small and so personal. And that's what I love about it is they did not sacrifice story for spectacle at all. And it still works out so well. Ditto. <laughs> really... And looking at this movie, for me, I cannot imagine a better film where Batman and Joker go at it, to be honest with you. And yeah, that that scene at the end, I think 
is one of my... I love that because really Batman is showing us that we're not always right. And our impressions, like, you know, Commissioner Gordon at that point is like, you know, we have to take care of this. Like, we have to act now. And Batman says, no, you have to take a closer look. You really have to get into it. And because he has, you know, this sonar radar, he's able to get that perspective to help the police change their mind. I love that. Like, it really showed that we have to take calculated actions, which also goes in with the rest of the film of the Joker is very calculated. But yeah, in conclusion, I loved I love this film. It's one that Allie and I watch all the time because we enjoy it. It's something that always keeps us thinking. And in the end, right, they have this scene where they immortalize Harvey Dent. And we've kind of touched on this a little bit. But the Batman sacrifice offers himself as a sacrifice, right? He's the one. He's like, I can run. You know, I can be the one who did this. I killed five men, you know, type thing. And he takes it all because of the idea that everyone needs, that there is good. There is someone like them who can do something. And, you know, Harvey Dent talks about early on, you know, we need an ordinary citizen who dresses up, you know, an ordinary citizen who takes the mantle. Um, but really what the people need was someone who they knew the face of, who they knew personally, who they knew, you know, had the swagger or, you know, the charm to do the job. And so in the end, you know, the Joker won some, lost some, but the chaos is real and the chaos is there. And so, yeah, beautifully shot film. I agree with both of you. The culmination of this film, like Vince said, does not rely upon the spectacle of a large battle, but rather the Joker trying to prove what he's been trying to prove the entire film that deep down and everyone is ugly and everyone really relies on chaos that we live in this society today that has rules but none of us really want to the entire film joker's been trying to prove that joker's been trying to get people to go mad and in his final monologue when him and the batman are fighting at the end on top of the building overlooking the fairies um the joker says he says something about uh, either Batman or someone going to the insane asylum and he says, you know, they're going to be doubling up with the rate that the people in this city are going mad. And so I love that the culmination of this film, like I said, isn't a battle, but it's... Because, I mean, when you think about these large battles that end either a series or a movie, you have, you know, in Stranger Things, it's the battle for Starcourt Mall. In Game of Thrones, it's the battle of Winter Winterfell and all these different things. Um... The Joker calls it the battle for Gotham's soul. Mm -hmm. It's not the battle for Gotham. They're not fighting over territory like they do and a lot of other things. It's the battle for Gotham's soul, the battle for what the citizens are going to believe, what people all across the world, because Gotham is a large city that everyone looks at, right? That what is going to happen? What are people going to believe? And that's what the Joker's been trying to do the entire film, and it culminates in this final moment. And then I love that the next part with Harvey Dent, it just... It fits into tying the franchise together, right? Trying tying the the three trilogy the trilogy together with what Batman's gonna be, what he now represents for the city. Because at the beginning, Batman was the idol. Everyone wanted to be him. Everyone wanted to help him. While we get to the very end of the movie, and Batman's the bad guy, and that's the way that it moves forward. That's the way that it all connects. While while really letting The Dark Knight be almost a standalone movie, it connects it. And like we talked about, I love this movie so, so much. It's beautifully shot, and they just put it together perfectly. So much to think about. Every time I watch it, I have to... Sorry. I got to catch my breath because I just keep trying to talk, and it just <laughs> all keeps uh, building up together. But it's wonderfully shot. 
they tie it all together while the dark knight itself is a standalone film i feel it also in the very end connects it to the franchise and batman's personal character arc just you know I can't say anything else yeah. then. I loved to end everything else that I said during the podcast. So we know we missed a lot in this movie. Maybe we'll have to do a bonus episode on Easter eggs and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. But for now, it's already been an hour and a half-ish. <laughs> so, uh, so thanks so much for listening. I mean, if you stuck with us for this long, we really hope that you enjoy this film as much as we have. Please let us know what your thoughts are about if we miss something specific that you think that we're just crazy to have missed or not have mentioned please let us know in the comments or uh message us personally and we'd love to talk about it with you because Mm -hmm. obviously we've been talking about this for an hour and a half and we know there's so much that we've missed message us because you know we'd love to talk about more (laughs) (laughs) well and and the reality of is yeah we miss things but we now need you to help us fill in the gaps of what we've missed so let us know like really just like lay a comment send a message we love interacting with you and it helps us get better, like to know what people are looking for to hear. And then also it helps us get to know y'all a little bit better. Like Vin said, it's fun to interact and fun to see. And we we love that. But this film is such a masterpiece and such a work of art that really we could not have captured it all in an hour and a half because it's a two and a half hour film. But there's so much within it that it could make it into a 10 hour podcast episode. So I agree. We I think we're going to have to come back and do a bonus episode on this. Before we close out, anything else we want to cover in a short moment? No. Follow us on Instagram at the Pause Rewind Play Podcast. And Twitter. People are busy on Twitter, right? True. Check us out. It's at Pause Rewind P L A because Twitter has a character limit, which is lame, but lame. whatever. That's why you should come over to Instagram and hang out with me. Instead. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Vince puts a lot more pictures and things like that. I just usually retweet imdb and rotten tomatoes and things like that and ask what you guys are thinking but they're both really fun please like i said let us know about the dark knight also let us know we're always happy to take movie suggestions of what you guys want to hear because we'll definitely do things that we want and new things that are coming out in theaters so you can know how it is or you can have the fresh movies on your mind but if you guys have a movie that you really want to hear please message us and i promise we will take it into consideration because we want to do what you guys want to listen to. And we have a real hard time choosing which movie we're going to do next. We spend like 15 minutes deciding on our next movie. But I think we're pretty excited for it because I've never watched it all the way through. Casey's never seen it. And this is one of my favorite movies. I'm a huge Bruce Willis fan. Like Casey's uh, really into John Hamm over there. (laughs) I'm a Bruce Willis is my man. So yes. This is this is gonna be good. We're gonna we're gonna watch Looper next. He's week. the John Hamm of the '90s. <laughs> he really is. Like <laughs> I remember, like Bruce Willis days for for day. Bruce Willis for days, guys. Sorry, but yeah, Bruce Willis. He's so versatile, you know. Because you got Die Hard and Looper and all these things. But like, I think as weird as it sounds, my favorite Bruce Willis movie is The Kid. If oh, any of you guys yeah. have seen The Kid, uh-huh. I just love that movie. Sorry, uh-huh. but but Looper. So yeah, watch Looper before next week. You will love it. It's got Bruce Willis, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You know, if you're into the younger, attractive guys, you know, check it out. And we will be all about that next week. Like we said, be sure to follow us. uh, Leave a comment. Let us know what you're thinking about this and everything else. And thank you so much for tuning in to the Pause, Rewind, Play podcast. We'll catch you next week. (laughs) 